Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. Let's say this. Uh, yeah, now I'm going to back up a little bit already. So Hebrews, it's talking about how Jesus is better than everything, okay? He's better than the angels. He's better than uh, Moses. He's better than the covenants. He's better than all of it. He's the fulfillment. Matter of fact, he is the invisible God made visible on your behalf, okay? He's better than angels, better than it all. And so if we get to Hebrews chapter 10, and there's this call to persevere, this is idea that already people are beginning to fall away at church. Already. Listen, this morning we had some people not at church because they had to work. That goes through me. I ain't trying to name anybody that might be at work here today because I'm not from Redemption 1010. But I can say, I promise you, if you sacrifice your Sunday for God, he will provide for your needs. He will. He tells you don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, where you're going to live. He takes care of the birds of the air. He'll take care of that. Find a job the other six days of the week. Done. But that's what's going on. And he says, some of you have already given up on getting together. You've forgotten what it's like and how important and how and just how vitally important it is. And so for some of you, you've actually deliberately keep on sinning. You just use that as an excuse like, hey, I'm saved, so who cares? I can go on and sin. I got my free ticket to heaven. Now I'm going to live like the devil. Who cares? At least I'm saved. And he says, uh-uh, that doesn't, shouldn't be like that. A matter of fact, you're wrong if you're doing that. You're going to get punished. You're going to get punished. You're going to be disciplined. And so, and then he, he says, Remember in the earlier days, some of you, you had to go through a lot of heartache, a lot of trouble, a lot of conflict to get to where you are today. And you've forgotten that. And now you're going to go through it all over again. Why? It's almost like you made the hard choice of I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to commit. I'm going to be at Bible study. I'm going to share my faith with other people. And I'm going to take the hit. I may lose some friends. I may lose some family members. Things may not go the same, but I will not be a shrinking violet. See, violets are flowers that are extroverts. They love to shine, and they love to just pop out everywhere. They like to get out in the sun. And the reason that phrase came about was there was actually uh, in the English, uh, over in England, it was said that once upon a time, I think it was uh, Yeats or Shelley or somebody, Keats, was writing, and they said they were talking about yellow and white buttercups and all these different flowers, and they said, and sparsely in between were shrinking violets because they had made these violets that actually stayed very close to the ground, and they would be really close. So they looked like they were shrinking compared to the rest of the flowers popping up. That's where that phrase came from. It was first heard in England, in, in America, in a Pennsylvania newspaper about uh, a, uh, um, a man who was holding all the titles, the deeds of all the people, and he was trying to get more taxes. And they said that Mr. Sneed had become a shrinking violet in, uh, in between the uh, fighting for the people for taxation without representation. Well, that was a little history lesson for you Florida people. Uh, so now, now y'all following me? You with me now? 
We've, we've nailed the no shrinking violence. We've, we've nailed down Hebrews, why we're here, what people are going through, uh, and that, that you shouldn't have to go through it again. You've already taken the beat down for making the decision to sell out for Jesus. Now, whenever you begin to shrink back, you're going to have to face it all over again. It's one of those deals. Now, it's like you get a new job and you have to tell them, I don't work on Sundays, and you think, I already did that. And, and so he says it's worth it. Do it again. Here, verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the illustrations and the stories, uh, the parables that are just all throughout the Bible that help illustrate the truths that you have given us in your word. Lord, we know that your word is living that it's alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So, Lord, we just pray that your word would do business today, that, Holy Spirit, you would stir up within us a faith that is stout and strong and, and visible. Lord, because we don't want to be shrinking violent. We don't want to be found with those who are shrinking back, but we want to be found with that cloud of witnesses in chapter 12 that cloud of witnesses that is cheering on the body of Christ. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I see here uh, there's two kinds of, of people that shrink back. There's two kinds. And uh, there are those who insult the spirit of grace. They insult the spirit of grace. I'll explain that in a second. Uh, chapter 10, verses 29 and 30 how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of god underfoot who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace for we know him who said it is mine to avenge i will repay and again the lord will judge his people so i think there's these people that the, the spirit of grace it's almost as if they've forgotten where they came from. They actually, they begin to uh, take for granted the grace of God. I don't know if you're thinking of anybody, but I can think of one. His name's Jonah. Jonah's one of those people. He's, he's a prophet of God. God says, hey, you got a gift. I'm the, I'm the giver. I'm the one who gave you that gift. Go to the Ninevites, to them, and and uh, tell them to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and so Jonah does not. He runs away. He, he goes to the ocean. He hides out on a ship until a big storm comes. The people throw him overboard. So here's Jonah. He gets saved by this giant fish. He gets, spits him out on the shore. He makes a covenant with God. Okay, I, I, I stink. You don't. I'll go tell people about you and to repent. Let me go. He does. He goes into Nineveh. He preaches from one side to the other, and the people repent. They actually listen. They actually listen. Every pastor dreams of this day 
where everyone will listen to what they say. You know why preachers say the same things over and over? Because y'all ain't listening. Listen, we will move on to the next sermon if y'all will get it, right? I have to, I'm preaching for faith, on faith for like a year. No, that's not true. But you, you get that. So Jonah, chapter 4. So Jonah gets to the point where the, they listen, they repent. He goes up on a mountain. He doesn't know the, the, really that they've repented. He goes up on a mountain and sits to watch the light show, to watch God fry them like crispy bacon. And he finds them a nice shade tree, and he sits underneath it, and he's like, where's the, where's the br- uh, brimstone? Where's the, where's the hell and the fire and all that stuff like Sodom and Gomorrah? Burn them up, Lord. They're lousy Ninevites. They don't deserve your, your grace and your mercy. And God says, oh, no, I saved them. And he's like, what? Well, this sucks. What in the world's wrong with you? I thought you were a vengeful God. I thought you were uh, handling business, God. And he says, really? Now you're going to lose your tree. So he loses his tree, and, and, and God brought a, an east wind that made it scorch upon Jonah, and he's burning up, and he's like, oh, I hate this. My life is horrible. This is the worst day ever. I just wish I would die. And God says, what is wrong with you? You're like a spoiled brat whining and crying about what's going on. And listen to this. But Jonah seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Uh, the, uh, the connotation there is that God has done him wrong. And he's upset. So he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So what is Jonah's problem? Do you see him shrinking back? Do you see him pulling back from God like this? No, I knew. I knew. I knew you were going to do this. And see, the first group of people are those who shrink back because they insult the spirit of grace by getting upset with God because God doesn't do what they want him to do. They want him to be this magic genie. God, if you're real, give me a better job. God, if you're real, make my cancer go away. God, if you're real, give me a wife and make her a good cook while you're at it. And maybe the lady that God has for you is praying the same thing. Give me a good husband. Let him be a good cook because I don't like cooking. Who's God going to answer? And so we can either get upset with God. I was just talking to a young lady earlier, just a half hour ago, an hour ago, and said, look, things aren't going your way. Don't shrink back from God. Lean into him. You got to lean into God. So there are those who insult God's grace by being frustrated at God's plan. Jonah was frustrated at God's plan. See, I knew you weren't going to do what I wanted. I wanted you to fry him. But you didn't. And isn't that what Hebrews chapter 10 said? It said, I'm the God who judges. It is mine to avenge. It isn't your job to worry about what's going to happen to that guy that keeps not showing up on Sunday because he's working. Don't get frustrated with him. Love on him. 
don't, 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 it's not your job to get after him. If he insults uh, my grace, I'll deal with him. So that's the first person. I think of also Judas. Judas was very similar. Judas wanted something to happen that didn't happen. In Matthew chapter 27, it talks about uh, Judas. And, and uh, see, Judas wasn't doing the will of God. And uh, he, instead, he was more interested in keeping the money, spending the money, and even in one spot, it talks about how he liked to skim off the top of the till, so to speak. Uh, he liked to keep some money for himself. But when Judas had betrayed Jesus, he saw that Jesus was condemned and he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. And he says, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left then he went away and hanged himself. See, what he did was is he, he had kind of this idea. This is what most commentators think, that, they, that Judas had this idea that he would force Jesus' hand. I'll betray him, and that way he'll finally step up and be the Messiah he's supposed to be. He'll take the sword, get on the white stallion, kick the Roman butt, put on the crown, and rule. And I'll get a place at the table. Because I'm one of his 12. I'm one of his boys. But see, whenever it didn't go down the way he thought it would, when he saw that he was condemned, he realized, snap, I messed up. God didn't, didn't do him what I wanted him to do. So what did he do? Well, he felt bad. And just like some of my kids sometimes, they don't necessarily repent of their sin, but they sure feel bad about getting caught. And they go and they say, I got caught, take your money back. And they said, we don't care. This, this is your business. That's between you and God. And rather than running in repentance to God saying, I thoroughly messed this up. Instead, he said, I'm going to take discipline into my own hands. He insulted the grace of God by dispensing justice upon himself. See, that's what happens when we run from God instead of to God. See, when you're caught, you need to run to God. And these people in Hebrews, he was telling them, there's some of you, you're running from God, and you need to persevere and run to God. So that leaves the second piece. Who's the, who's the second group? The second group are those who walk close to the sun. And then kind of a play on words, the S-U-N-S-O-N, those who walk close to the sun. There are those that walk away, and there's those who walk close to the sun. And, and those we see, uh, let me turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. So he says that the, those who persevere, he said, remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured great conflicts, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult, persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, joyfully accepting the compensation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to know that your faith will always be richly rewarded. So don't have the faith of a shrinking violet, but instead 
persevere and grow into it, grow into that faith. And, and so what do you mean whenever you say uh, those who walk close to the sun? These people who went through all this stuff in verses 32 through 35, what, were, they, were, they, uh, were they angry about what they were going through? Does it seem like they were angry? Or did they embrace it? Like they used it like, hey, we must really be with Jesus because look at all the things that are going wrong. Instead, they were understanding that, man, we're on fire for Jesus and we're sold out and we don't care what happens to us. That's how a violet should be, an extrovert that stands proud in the midst of all the other flowers saying, we'll endure what we endure. And that's the kind of faith that we need, Christians. We'll endure what we endure, but we'll do it walking with the sun. And so I think of Elijah. Elijah was this kind of person. In 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm going to give you all the Justin summary. So you all just got to write this down because I'm preaching too long. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is, uh, he, God uses him to pray for a drought. There's this evil dude. His name's Ahab. He's rotten, rotten to the ground. You talk about praying for government. This is the kind of government you have to really decide, am I moving to Canada or am I going to stay and endure? And a lot of them went and lived in caves. They're just like, I'm out. I'm out. And so they're, they're just killing people, whacking them left and right. Ahab and his wicked wife, Jezebel. You probably heard of her, right? Jezebel, this is them. And so Elijah goes and hides out, not because he's scared, but because God told him to. Said, hey, I'm going to go put you by a brook. And for like three years, he's there, and ravens bring him food, and he drinks from a stream. Pretty awesome. In the time of drought, well, that dries up, and then he sends him to a widow. And this widow, the widow of Zarephath, takes care of him, provides for him. And then finally, that runs out, and he says, now it's time to do business. Go see Ahab. And Elijah's like, let's ride. Let's, let's do this. So he goes and, and he finds his boy Obadiah, and he says, Obadiah, tell Ahab that wicked, no good for nothing, I'm coming to town. And Obadiah, do you hate me? I thought we were boys. Old King Ahab said the first person that comes along and says they've seen you, he's killing them. So you want me to get killed? He says, oh, stop whining. Go tell him I'm coming, and I will surely do it. So he shows up, and he shows up, Mount Carmel, and he says, Ahab, you wicked dude, look at me. I'm all by myself, and you got 450 false prophets of Baal. We're about to have a showdown. You ready for this? And he says, bring it. Let's do it. What you got? He said, I got the living God. What you got? You got a fake God that's false. Nobody listens to him. He don't care about you. So he does this awesome thing. And, and he tells the prophets of Baal, uh, this false God, he says, you guys, uh, actually, he, he, first he says, I'm tired of y'all vacillating between two places. You say you're for God, but then you worship Baal. It's time for you today to choose whom you will serve. Love it. Hey, calling them out, drawing lines, either on that side or this side. And so, he says, uh, they said, okay, so what do you, what's your duel? What's your challenge? He said, how about this? We'll call on our God, and whoever God comes down and eats the sacrifice by fire is the God we'll all worship. And they were like, money, we're in it. 
let's do it. He says, okay, go, y'all go first. And so they built this altar. They did all this wonderful things, and they cut themselves, and they danced. Uh, they were like, uh, they're doing all kinds of crazy new stuff, like the cabbage patch and stuff. And, and Baal was nowhere. And Elijah even makes fun of him. Elijah mocks him and goes, hey, <laughs> where's your God? Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Who knows? Maybe you should scream louder. And they do. They're acting fools. I mean, they're just acting crazy. And then whenever it begins to be sundown, he said, now, are y'all done playing around? Because I'm about to show y'all something. So he knocks down. They're all, he knocks it all down, and he sets up some rocks, and he, he, he puts the sacrifice up there, and he says, go get me water. Now, water, now this is a famine, right? And he says, get me water. So he goes and gets water, and he douses it and douses it and douses it. And he said, watch this. And he called upon God, and a fire came down, licked up the water, ate the sacrifice, and went back up in the sky. And you know what Elijah said? Kill them all. And they do. <laughs> they killed everybody that was on that side of the line. Killed the 450 prophets of Baal. And then God says, get out, Elijah. <laughs> Run. And so he does. He, it says he actually, like, picked up his robe and he began to run. And he outran Ahab and his chariot. So he outruns him and he gets back to town. And who's there? Jezebel. And she says, you, whoa, you're in trouble, boy. You are so in trouble. I, a matter of fact, if you're not like those 450 prophets of hell by the end of the day, then I'll be cursed. And, and you know what? Guess what Elijah does? Y'all remember? He runs and he hides. He just experienced this magnificent, wonderful closeness to God who's fed him, who's given him uh, drink after he thirsts, gave him companionship, provided safety, provided everything he needed. And now Elijah hangs his head and says, this is it. My life sucks. And God goes to him in, in 1 Kings chapter 19 and says, Elijah, what's wrong? He said, that woman's going to kill me. She's going to kill me. And he said, are you serious right now? Seriously, you're afraid of Jezebel? And he says, you need to go and hide yourself in a, in a, in a cave and come talk to me and let's spend some time alone together. And they do. And then God encourages him and, and uses him to uh, end the famine and all kinds of things. And you would think that that mountaintop experience was the pinnacle of what Elijah was going to do, and it wasn't. You know what it was? It was passing on his faith to Elisha, who would do twice the miracles he did. And see, so if you think I've already experienced the best of what God has the offer, and so from now on, just come get me, God, because life sucks and I'm done. Listen, don't shrink back because there are two kinds of people who shrink back. There are those that are insulting the grace of God and say, forget it. You don't do what I want you to do anyway. Or there's the other people who have had it so good hearing, spending intimate time with God that once God's silent, they're scared and they freak out. But what's cool about Elijah is he runs to God. He doesn't run from God. Peter 
is the other one. I give you Jonah and Elijah. I give you Judas and Peter. Peter said, Jesus, I'm a ride, ride or die, man. You and me, let's do this thing. And he says, oh, you turkey, you're going to deny me three times. You don't even realize it. He says, baloney ain't going to happen. He says, yep, for the rooster crows, it'll happen. You'll see it. He says, uh, okay. Now, you wonder where baloney is in the Bible. It's the Justin paraphrase, okay? And you just have to take my word for it. And so in, uh, in Matthew chapter 26, you see Peter deny Jesus three times. And he, and he ran off. He ran off. But in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 22, we're at the end, so I can read it. No, we're not at the end. But we're close. I wanted to give you hope. John 15, or John 21, verses 15 through 22. He says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, now me, I don't think this was immediately. I think maybe a couple minutes passed by, just enough for Peter to like kind of hang his head a little bit more. And Jesus look over, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He's like, oh, I already told you the answer to that. Do you love me? So, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself when you where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. See, that's the deal. For those who walk close to the sun, even when we fall away, the sun is still there close. And he still calls to you and says, I'm not done with you. You've got more work to go. And so if you're Christians, listen to me. I started this, well, kind of, saying that if I had an app that could tell whether you're Christians, I'm assume you're all Christians. I'm here to tell you we live in a day and a time when the, when the enemy has lulled us to sleep with entertainment and comfort, and we've fallen asleep, and we're just kind of sitting back beneath the buttercups, and we're just kind of hey, I'm pretty too, look at me. But it's time to step out in our faith. And there is a time coming when we will be called to persevere for our faith. And, and, and he said, and, and the, the, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say it, it's coming, now faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made by out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain, uh, than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. But this is what the, what the ancients were commended for. What is it? That they believed in God and they believed he is a rewarder of their faith. And that's what we've got to do. We as Christians need to believe that God exists. He's still there. 
He hasn't forgotten his church. He hasn't forgotten his people. He's still at work. Listen, it ought to be easy for you, Redemption 1010. You got a mission team right here from Florida waving their hands saying, hey, we're visitors from God. Here we are. Jesus loves you. Don't miss that because it's easy. It's easy because they come every summer, don't they? They come every summer and they do work in your community on your behalf, but not just your behalf, but on God's behalf to make known the living God that he is worth believing in and that he is a rewarder of those who have faith. So when the call comes to persevere, persevere. Don't be a shrinking violent. Stand strong. All these people did it. Abel did it. Enoch did it. Uh, Moses did it. Abraham did it. Uh, Isaac did it. Jacob did it. Joseph did it. Rahab did it. Sarah did it. They all did it. They all persevered. Were they perfect? Heck no. Can I say heck? I'm from Oklahoma, as you can hear the accent. We're not allowed to say heck. Not even if you're making a good point. You can say hell if you're talking about like sinners going there, but you can't use it in another language. Here they are. Moses. Uh, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. He said all these people are witnesses to faith in God. He rewards you. A matter of fact, those guys didn't even get to see the day of Jesus. They were hoping for that day to come. You have the result because men and women have seen and testified and poured down to us, to this day, to this moment, to this time. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's two different things. Everything that hinders us. I think that's the nice, you know, some of us have so many righteous robes around us, we trip on it as we're walking through life. Maybe we need to be stripped down and having some things taken from us. Some of you are going, don't you put that on me. Okay. So here they are. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Is it any better than that? Listen. Is Abraham, you, is, he the, is he the gold standard for faith? No. What about Jacob? I mean, he became Israel. Come on, y'all. No. Moses? Nope. David? Nope. What about Samson? That dude had muscles and hair. He's good looking probably. I mean, he sure had a lot of lady friends. That's all I'm saying. Is he the gold standard? No. The gold standard is Jesus. Look at what he endured on our behalf. At any point, he could have called time out, <laughs> time out. Can you imagine Jesus using, uh, uh, what are the, the, what do you call the cards where the, I'm being triggered. Don't, nope, stop. I'm being, <laughs> I think I got PTSD. Stop. Don't call me any more names. Joe, I know that you hit me in the face. Stop. He could have done that at any point. But instead, he endured by faith the cross and its shame and everything that led up to it. 
and even rejection of his father when God turned his back on him because he could not look on sin. And if Jesus can do all that for us, that is our gold standard for faith. And we have a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. You go, keep going, don't quit, don't give up. I can imagine you're crying to great Aunt Mimi. Great Aunt Mimi, you taught me all the Bible verses and, and uh, you taught me to love God, but I think God's forgiven me, uh, forgotten me. You're talking to grand, grand, uh, great Aunt Mimi in heaven. You know what I think great Aunt Mimi would say? Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Don't look at me. You're looking at the wrong person. People who tell me they talk to their dead relatives, I'm like, well, I don't believe that because if you were, they would tell you to go talk to Jesus. I'm going to tell you that right now, tell you how I feel. And I got a couple scriptures I think that might back that up. So I'm here to tell you, you need to be looking at Jesus because what they're going to say is uh, when my kids, they come, uh, whenever the mom's mad at them, they come to me, I go, don't go to me, go to mom. You need to make it right with mom. When you're running from God because you got caught up in something, run to Jesus. Jesus, I'm sorry. I got caught. So that's my message to you as Christians. Persevere in your faith. Don't be a shrinking violet. Don't be those who insult the grace of God. And just because you spend time with the son doesn't mean that you're not going to go through difficult times. Matter of fact, it means you are. Okay? So run to Jesus. Father God, what an amazing God you are. We thank you so much for your word that comes alive. Where's not coming?